Are you going to count us in or you want me to just go? Okay, ready? And coming down in three, <laughs> two. OHL Hockey is back. This is the Farwell and Pope Podcast. Originating from the 570 News Studio in Kitchener. Here are your hosts, Mike Farwell and Chris Pope. If this episode of the Farwell and Pope Podcast sounds a little bit different, that's because it is. Even though, and I hate to tell you that he lied to you saying that the Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studios in Kitchener, but this week only half of it does because once again, our friend Chris Pope takes the option on the roadie. And so as I sit here at a hotel in Sudbury, Popers in the cozy confines of the 570 News headquarters in Kitchener. I have the benefits of this wonderful technology, the MK8 studio edition of this microphone to make my voice sound wonderful. For once, I have the best voice on the broadcast. Because you sound like you're coming through a tin can way up there and where? (laughs) The Nickel City, baby. (laughs) Right. The Nickel City. Yeah, it was a nickel can, I should say then. That's right. I am using the Rogers wireless network to make this connection happen. And I got to tell you, I have taken full advantage of you not being here a little bit of inside information for you when i was talking to the team's coordinator for travel last week before this trip and i indicated that i'd kind of be picking up a broadcast partner along the way i was told well we're still going to book the double room for you just don't tell anybody so i'm not really telling anybody at least not before it's too late that's a nice little perk eh It's not bad. So when I got to North Bay, where this trip began, I used every single hanger in the closet. I know I'm a little bit anal. You probably know this because you've traveled with me. I know. Shocking. A little bit. I thought of you. I thought of you when I looked at that closet because I thought, geez, if Pope was here, I'd have to share these hangers. I didn't have to. Every one of them with my clothes. And then this time when we got into after the game in North Bay, we traveled directly over to Sudbury. So we got in a little bit later and I know it's kind of like a short stay. So I've only unpacked half my suitcase and instead of unfolding things and hanging all of them up, they're going to stay folded. And I've just sprawled them all out over the extra bed in the room that you are not using, taking full advantage, my friend, full advantage of your absence. Listen, even when I'm there, you take full advantage. I can't remember the last time I had a hanger and I can't remember the last time I got to sit on a chair in a hotel room. Okay, you're lying about the hangers, but you're right. I do, <laughs> listen, I'm the veteran on this trip, okay? On this it's a tour. very good I point. To, I, get, I get to call dibs on the chairs in the hotel, and you know what? <laughs> I totally did that yesterday, too, even though I had two beds to choose from. I, I don't know what it is, but I love to pull the chair away from the table and find a little cozy corner, throw some pillows on it, put my feet up on the bed, and just chill. That's the way it is. Hey, I don't blame you. I'm, I mean, I didn't make the trip pulling back the curtain because I do have a full-time job and I used a lot of my vacation days for the playoffs last year. We went up to the Sioux uh, for games one and two and then again for five and seven. Um, and obviously with the the playoffs this year, I want to save some vacation um, in case we do end up making a trip. Um, so normally um, for my full-time job, I sometimes get a hotel uh, down in Windsor and I, I love it. I turn the pull the desk right out, get in that chair, stick it right up to the desk, and I got my little office staring right at the TV. Get a little footstool. You just like it because you can sit there and do your Sudoku's. How many on, on that trip up? How many Sudoku's and crosswords did we get through? I got through three crosswords. I I like was fully into the crosswords on the trip up, and then two Sudoku's from 
uh, North Bay to Sudbury last night. So I'm doing pretty well. The average is one extra crossword so far, but going through the papers today, I've got the Sudbury star in front of me. The North Bay nugget was yesterday. Love going through the daily papers. Oh, by the way, you're missing teddy bear night. We might not make it home by Christmas if they don't have a good cleanup crew here in Sudbury. Teddy bear night in Sudbury. (sighs) Yeah. Nothing, nothing like a roadie for another teddy bear game because, you know, filling time on a broadcast is easy. Do you know that each one of those teddy bears will fall into second place as the best stuffed animal in that building? Don't even talk about that. What? They, for those who don't know, and I've mentioned it on the podcast before, um, they have a stuffed wolf in the rafters that when the wolves score, it's on like a wire and they shoot this wolf, wolf across the ice and then bring it back. It's outstanding. I wish it had red laser lights. Okay. Red laser eyes. I have to. I'm going to talk about that. I have. I have to talk more about it. But since you brought it up right here, I think it's a perfect opportunity for us to hear from Kitchener Rangers head coach Jay McKee because it's up here in Sudbury where it all began for him. This is where he was drafted into the Ontario Hockey League and embarked on that uh, 14-year National Hockey League career. Eventually, a first rounder both ways into the O and then into the show. And I talked to Jay uh, earlier today, in fact, about what it was like uh, learning that he was going to be going from the small town where he grew up to Sudbury in the Ontario Hockey League. Yeah, no, that was, uh, was a neat experience. I think uh, it was all kind of surreal. I wasn't really, I was just focused on playing hockey. I actually wasn't thinking about OHL or anything past that. I was just playing hockey and had a really good under 17 uh camp and and kind of right from that camp i a lot of interest was uh garnered on me i'd played junior c the season before and and in a small town with only six thousand people so i don't think i was scouted a whole lot and then i just had an exceptional under 17 camp and uh ended up going uh, fairly early in the draft so uh, it was a great experience here in sudbury um Played 51 games my first year, zero goals and one assist, and I got that one assist in the first game. So it was uh, it was an interesting year, but uh, it was definitely um, you know for 16 year olds, it's it's uh, for the majority of 16 year olds, um, it, it's a developmental year where you're learning a lot of new systems, new things. You're learning to compete against bigger, older uh, players, some of the best in the world actually. If you if you look at that age group, um, and it was a good learning experience for me. You talk about that small town where you were playing hockey before you come up here to Sudbury. What did you know about the city of Sudbury when you heard that's where you were going to go play major junior hockey? I didn't know a single thing. I didn't even know where it was in the map. Um, you know, in reality, when back when I was uh, 15, 16 years old, um, there was no social media. Uh, there wasn't an internet back then. So for me to know anything about Sudbury, I, I'd have to pick up a, a geography book and actually uh, study it. So I, I really had no idea where it was. It was, uh, you know, about seven hours away from my hometown, and that was uh, not even something I had really thought about, having to move that far away from my family. And, and I have a late birthday, so I was 15 when I moved away, and that was an adjustment, but I live with a, a great family here that, that took me in like I was uh, one of their own, and, and uh, they made the adjustment much easier. Um, but yeah, it's certainly uh, very different back then. I think the players growing up now are a lot more aware through the social media, at, at the draft and the teams and, and uh, you know all the aspects around it. How did you find out? I wondered about that. Not meaning to, well, we're dating the both of us, but no internet, and that's how they do the draft now. How did you learn that you had been drafted? 
Well, actually, back then they had a live draft, and that's probably because there was no internet, right? Um, so I, I had a we, they had a live draft, and and uh, actually the first round players had to go up and, and say a short speech. So it was uh, definitely something I wasn't prepared for going into a, a packed arena and having to at 15 years old having to give a short speech. So I kind of bumbled my way through that, and and uh, you know, but it was an experience that I certainly won't ever forget. You talked about the uh, Billet family that took you in as their own when you come up here. And is, is it true that Alex Lipinoff has the same Billet family that you had when you were a player up here? He did. Uh, Peter and Debbie, Debbie McAlooty, um, you know, they had a, a real nice home and they were a great family, uh, uh, really caring. And, and yeah, apparently uh, Alexi and I shared the same room. So um, I like, uh, I'm happy knowing I was uh, there long before him. But um, yeah, it's just kind of a, a unique uh, situation. Face off. So I wanted to throw that in right there because, of course, I had to circle back and ask about the mangy, ratty, dingy wolf. I think Jay may be misremembering. I don't mean to call him a liar, the second person I've called a liar on this podcast already. But that thing, that stuffed animal that hangs in a corner up here, I swear by sweet, sunny Jesus, it hasn't been combed, cleaned, or otherwise brushed off in 40 years it's got to be the same one that was here when jay was here it absolutely is and that's what makes it awesome it's it's not endearing at all (laughs) i I love it i uh i just wish it it was bigger and i wish they did it after every goal last year they only did it after the first sudbury goal i want to see it go the full length of the ice i want to see it have like lasers in its eyes shoot down to ice level and maybe or you know what It, it could have like somehow have like spotlight eyes where it shoots down a spotlight on the goal score as it streaks down the ice it'd be sweet now you're getting carried away yeah well I, of course I'm getting carried away. They're, they're having, or they're building a new arena up there. So if Dario's listening, maybe he could, uh, satisfy my need for some sweet wolf eyes in the new arena. And this is what I was going to say. I do hope, listen, if your team name is the Sudbury Wolves and you want to have a wolf come out on a wire to (laughs) center ice or to wherever, when the team scores a goal, by all means, fill your boots. It's kind of cool. This is junior hockey do things like that. Like I, I think I think it's great. But if they don't get a new wolf for the new arena, then I may take the option every time we come back up here. Because honest to goodness, this thing gives me nightmares. It gives me nightmares. Oh come on. It's been in it well the the, the team's been in the O since nineteen seventy two. It's one it's an old squad. Let's keep the wolf. Keep the keep the same wolf. I bet you that wolf was killed in nineteen seventy two. What? That's actually a good point because we are up here in in the North Country, and and hunting is a big oh. deal. So you're you're right. That may actually be a wolf that one time roamed the wooded areas. There is Nickel City. There is zero doubt in my mind that that wolf at one point was marching through the woods and probably came close to town. And the owner of the wolves at one point was probably walking to the rink and had his gun on him and took down that wolf, guaranteed. There's no doubt in my mind. You talk about this franchise and it being around since 1972, and I was talking to Joe Gareffa on the trip about coming to this building, and he says, yeah, the Sudbury really does need a new arena. We talked <laughs> about the plans, which are, uh, it's been approved. It's gone through the necessary steps at council. I don't know exactly when they're going to be breaking ground, but I, I, anyway, we know in the next number of years there will be a new arena up here but there is a proud tradition and and that's what joe and i were talking about a little bit 
when you look up at the banners in here and you see Randy Carlisle and you see Mike Felino and you see you know a handful of these other players that have gone on to great things. Uh, Felino, of course, coming back at one time then as the head coach. You see Joe Bowen's banner up there because mm-hmm. he used to call hockey games here in Sudbury. There, there's a lot of history here. It's it's got a a real proud past, and it's it's kind of unfortunate to see what this franchise has gone through. Although right now, I mean, the glory days are certainly back for Sudbury, and I'm happy to see that for the team and for the city because it's it's gone through this drought. But the building itself. Uh, built in the same year. We talked about this on one of our recent uh, broadcasts of a Rangers game on 570 News. The building itself has the same cornerstone as the Memorial Auditorium in Kitchener. They call this Sudbury Arena the Odd of the North. And when you're inside, honest to goodness, there are parts of it where you'll say, of course it's the same. It's basically the same footprint. Although I would say that the Odd in Kitchener has aged a whole lot better and they've done a great job with the renovations over the years. Yeah, the renovations have certainly uh, done the the auditorium here in Kitchener well. I don't know if there's been any renovations in Sudbury at all. I don't think so. No, not it, a single one. But it's one of those it's one of those rinks like we talked about previously on the podcast, Farzi. That um, like I thought about Flint, where if that Wolves team is a good hockey team, like they are this year, you know, like they were in 2007 um, when they lost. Uh, the league championship, that is a dangerous place to go into because you walk in and you just like you, you're cold. You, you see like the brick and mortar underground. Like you're just like, this is a hard rink. Like it's you, the boards look like they're just going to be rock solid. The fans are right on top of you. The, the roof is so low that it feels like you're like the roof is just like two feet above you. That that could be a, a wild place to go and play. Um, and I'm sure it was back in 2007 when they went to the league championship. And the wood beams, right? Yeah. In that low roof, it's just, I, I honestly, I really like coming here for that reason. It's not the nicest place to work. It's not in the best shape, but it's got that classic, I mean. Yeah, you know what it reminds ring- me of? It reminds me of a jacked up Allman Arena. Interesting. Out of Stratford. I, I was going to say, that this rink could have easily been one of those used in the movie Slapshot. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yes. Because that's the feel it's got. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. It came up, this whole idea of needing a new arena and having this conversation with Joe Gareffa. Uh, it came up in conversation because he was mentioning how much he likes playing in North Bay. I don't know if he feels that way today after what happened to the Rangers in North Bay <laughs> last night, but we had some downtime after the skate on Thursday at the North Bay Memorial Gardens, and Joe said it's his second favorite road building to play in. And his first, Peterborough, because he had back-to-back four-point games on his one trip to Peterborough, and then this one he likes, and he said because it's got the old and the new kind of mixed together, and I hadn't really thought about it until Joe mentioned it, and then when I was back later in the day setting up for the broadcast and getting all the pregame work done, I kind of spent more time looking around, especially when you got to the arena in the dark. And they've done a really nice job with their reno there at North Bay Memorial Gardens because as you pull up along the front, it's all glass and you can see the offices and the corridors inside and it does have a neat look to it. I always remember Don Cameron saying that when you came up to the North Bay Memorial Gardens, uh, it was a place that was so clean you could eat off the floor. That's how much pride they took in it. And now, of course, I never saw that old building. I, I was here 
when they renovated it and brought the battalion back up from Brampton to restore the franchise here in North Bay. But I'm looking around and I, I can see where Joe is coming from on that. It's still got some of those kind of old school, old arena uh, characteristics to it, particularly in what I would call the old front lobby when you walk in the main sort of foyer it's still got that classic old look with some of the wood and stuff and then they've got the the addition added to it the portrait of the queen is there which we'll also see at the Sudbury arena tonight which i love in the northern rinks i think the portraits of the queen are great but interesting take by joe and i kind of when i looked around more closely i can see what he's talking about they've done a nice job of sort of maintaining the old and the original stuff and adding the addition here in north bay not a fan what? Not a fan. No, Why I. Not? I don't know. It's. I. I don't like it. I take Sudbury Arena over North Bay Memorial Gardens. I'm just not a. Not a big fan of it. I don't know. I've only been there once, and it really didn't. Uh, really didn't sell me on it. I, I well, felt. I felt uh, away from. Well, obviously away from home, but I just didn't feel good. It was just not a good hockey arena. I didn't like it. Maybe next time. Maybe next time you come up, you'll take a different view, just based on because I. It, it, I didn't love it or hate it. I was just kind of neutral on it. Again, we make the one trip, so yeah. it didn't really stand out to me. Uh, but the way Joe looked at it made me reevaluate my thoughts on it. And as I said, pulling up in the dark, because, uh, of course, you know, four thirty, five o'clock this time of year. So you can see with the, you know, the glass on the front, like I said, and all the offices and corridors mm-hmm. inside. I kind of liked the look. I thought it was pretty neat. Right. But you also might be biased, because let's be honest, and I mean no disrespect, and I... It, it pains me to keep saying it, but you, I guess I get a little spoiled, so I'll just call myself the spoiled brat broadcaster, but you don't get treated very well here as media. The coffee is <laughs> awful in North Bay. It's awful. And the food, if you are lucky enough to get there early enough to get some, is on the mediocre side. Although I will say, they had some pretty good za this time around, and I had a piece for you. Oh, I appreciate that. You're I, welcome. I try to steer away. Did you see, I, I retweeted... Uh, uh, our friends down in Windsor last night. I did see that. Yeah, medium meal. They tweeted, spicy chicken gumbo, fresh salad, pork chops and applesauce, roast potatoes and a fresh veggie mix. Oh. <laughs> Let's go to Windsor. Hey, we're there in a couple of weeks. Get ready right? for it. Leave it, up. Couple to with you. Leave it up to the Farwell and Pope podcast, your official food connoisseurs of the <laughs> Ontario Hockey League media rooms. He's Farwell. Man. I'm Pope. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL and at underscore Chris Pope. And uh, Mike, I wanted to ask, we do know that Sudbury is going to be awarded a new arena. Last year on this podcast, around this time, we handed out a few Christmas awards or Christmas gifts, if you will, to certain teams. Do you want to do that again? I love the idea since this will be the last episode of the Farwell and Pope podcast before we take a little Christmas hiatus. So, yeah, sure. Who do you want to gift something to first? All right. My first gift is going to go. And do, do you mind, Mike, if I, I, if I give a couple teams a gift all in one? Not the same all. gift. Okay. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to channel my, my inner mother who likes to give my brother and I the same thing for Christmas every year. Here, here's the same shirt. That's what I want. I want to wear the same shirt as my brother. Not, I appreciate it, Mom. Worth, I love you. My my mother buys me a pair of socks every year. Period. What else more do you want? I love socks. I, well, right? I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. But like the same shirt as your brother. Like I want to wear the same tank top as my brother that says "Life is better at the cottage." I love it. Anyway, we she got <laughs> sidebar. She got us all 
matching uh, pajamas last year when we were in Florida. They were Santa Claus pajamas or elf pajamas and made us all wear them and take a family photo. And people ask me why I don't like Christmas. Um, <laughs> I like your mother more and more every day. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so my gift, I'm going to reach into Santa's bag here and, and give a gift, the same gift, to teams Mississauga, to Hamilton, to North Bay, Sarnia, and to maybe Owen Sound. So that's five. And that gift is going to be a trading partner. Because unlike years past, most recent years past, this year in the Ontario Hockey League, it is a buyer's market. There are not a lot of teams that are close to or currently contending near the upper echelon. Ottawa went out and made a big move. Niagara went out and made a big move. Other than that, it has been pretty quiet. London made a big move, but they got guys back from the National Hockey League, and it wasn't via trade. Every year around this time leading up to the deadline, and then in January, we see the trades start to happen. But there are a lot of assets out there. Sarnia still with some assets. On sound, we heard, we've talked about it, some rumors out there. They might be ready to dismantle uh, uh, their team. Hamilton trying to recuperate some picks. Mississauga has... McLeod and Tippett and amongst others there are a lot of assets out there that could be dealt now the price of those is up for question because of the market so my gift to those teams is to find a trading partner because you don't have to look too far back that when the Guelph Storm had the likes of Fabry and Bertuzzi after loading up the year before and they didn't offload those guys they had a few very rough years because they were unable to recuperate the draft picks and players that they used the year prior. You can ill afford to do that when you are the likes of Kitchener, of Sault Ste. Marie, um, of Mississauga, of Hamilton that moved a lot of draft picks and young talent for proven guys to make a run. So those teams are going to need to find a trading partner and it is definitely a buyer's market this year in the Ontario Hockey League. All right, I'd like to also give a gift to multiple teams, but unlike you, I won't list the teams because if I start, we'll be here until next Christmas. (laughs) But I say that as a preface to the fact that I think a good two-thirds of the teams in this Ontario Hockey League, certainly more than half, so I'm going to just throw out there 10 to 12 or 13 teams in this league. If you asked them to answer honestly, they would say, you know what we could really use an upgrade in? We could really use an upgrade in our net. Goaltending, I believe, is at an all-time premium in this league. You can list off a handful of DiPietros, Volaltas, and Coys, and then start falling off the cliff of above-average goaltending in this Ontario Hockey League. I, I do believe that part of it is due to the fact that we had that rather goofy ban on drafting import goaltenders. Now that that has been lifted, I expect things to open up just a little bit, but truly uh, I think certainly more than half, probably two-thirds of the teams in this league would say to you, if we could upgrade in net, we would. So my gift that I would like to give to more teams than I can list is the gift of better goaltending. I would accept that gift if I were 13 teams in this Ontario Hockey League. 
Yeah, we went through a little earlier uh, Niagara and London and Ottawa and currently Sault Ste. Marie, uh, Sudbury. Oshawa. Um, Oshawa, maybe, maybe Saginaw with yeah. Cross the Top. Uh, and, and then it starts getting starts getting pretty thin out there. So I, I, I don't think uh, teams would, would uh, if they're answering honestly, would give a different answer that they're oh yeah they're really happy with their goaltending no no they're not and yeah. it's uh, it's an interesting state for the league to be in you get that premium goaltender why do you think Ottawa went out and did the deal it did despite having Cedric Andre in goal and got Michael DiPietro as well because if you have above average goaltending in this league you have an above average chance of going a long way in this league you do it's what we heard Jay McKee talked about it last night. If you're listening to the postgame show on 570 News, brought to you by Channers, um, he said that goaltending is the most important position. And there's not a lot of quality goaltenders in this league right now. The two of the, perhaps two of the top seven are imports. And the league tried to fix that by putting in the, the no import goalie rule, but it really didn't do anything. It just showcased that goaltending is. At a premium right now, all while Ottawa sits back and laughs at everyone that they have two of the top five. <laughs> um, so, my next gift, or my yeah, my next gift this holiday season, goes to our good friend Kyle Raftus, the general manager of the Sault Saint Marie Greyhounds. He is a good friend. He in is fact, a when great we were, guy. When, yeah, when we were up in the Sioux and we ran into him, we actually got to talking about. And let's go back to your comment about the Windsor Media Meal that was tweeted out last night. We got talking about Muyos, who supplies the media room meal in Sault Ste. Marie. We love the spread up there. And you run into Kyle in the hallway outside the press box. And what do you talk about? Hey, that was a great meal from Muyos tonight. Kyle, thanks for bringing it in. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? Right? So what um, does he need? That guy's got everything. Yeah, right? Including a long career in the OHL. Um, yeah. My gift to Kyle Raftis is an understanding fan base. And why I say that is because the Sioux, the last couple times they've loaded up, they did so with Dubas, they did so with Raftus, a pair of Kyles, and both times they fell short. Or maybe all three or four times they fell short. Um, So this is a team that is starving for an Ontario Hockey League championship. It is a, a very supportive fan base. They show up. We saw the playoffs last year. It was insane in that building. Awesome. Loved it. it. So great. Um, the town. Po- posters of the Greyhound logo everywhere. It was unbelievable. But this is a Sioux Greyhound team that sits in second place in the Western Conference. This is a Sioux Greyhound team that sits first in their division. Two points back of London with obviously London with three games in hand. But still, they are sitting comfortably atop the West Division. But I don't think they have a choice. They're going to have to move the likes of Morgan Frost, the likes of Matthew Valalta, maybe the likes of Barrett Hayden, Jordan Sandbrook, Mac Hollowell, and Keaton Howdeshell. Jeepers, creepers, leave something on the farm pole. I don't know if you can. They traded Hayden Fowler and nine draft picks last year to Erie. That's just last year in one trade. We could go back and go through all the other trades they made. When was the last time they did a full rebuild? 
They just went yeah, for, they just went for it three years ago when they brought in Justin Bailey and Co. Exactly. I was going to say they've had four really nice years up in season Right. Three. It is time to rip it down. And I mean to the ground. You need to recuperate those draft picks that you've sent out. They haven't like when you see London do it, they at least, you know, they trade they made a bunch of trades last year to get rid of some guys and got some picks back. That's how they retool. If if they don't and then you you go for it four or you at least try to stay relevant for four years in a row, this is what happens. And I think I, I really think that that fan base needs to be understanding and realize that because the likes of those guys need to be moved for this team to recoup what they lost. So my gift to Kyle Raftis is an understanding fan base. That's my gift to him. That's that's actually a, a really interesting uh, idea, and it makes me think about the Erie Otters, who also had four really good years, 50-plus wins in those years for the Erie Otters, and now they're in that down cycle, and I wonder how Dave Brown is feeling about it, because he's gone through this now. Obviously, we've only had one game in Erie so far. It was the school day game, so that boosts your attendance numbers a little bit, but even then, I wouldn't call it a well-attended game, and having just come from North Bay last night, when they made the move back up here to North Bay, and they had the season ticket drive, and people were excited to get back into the arena to watch their OHL franchise again, returning to the city, and they had a couple of really good years. They went to the OHL championship in their first year back up here in North Bay. But I could have counted the fans myself uh, in the North Bay Memorial yeah. Gardens last night. I'm convinced of it because it's, and again, they don't have a great team to watch, but it's it's one of the toughest parts of this league where even sometimes when you're good, you're looking around saying, where are all the fans? But the, the London, like Windsor would be an example of that. Not that the team is great this year, but even when they had some good teams, you're wondering, why aren't the fans showing up? Is is junior hockey just not really on the map there in, in Windsor with Detroit right across that border? I don't know, but I worry about it, I, and I worry about it for the long-term health of this league. I, I'm right with you in all of that. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, okay. I, I, I just think D- Dave Brown's rebuild down in Windsor was made a little easier by Hayden Fowler and those nine draft picks that they got. And that's, in Erie, that, yeah. Or sorry, in Erie, yeah. Um, yeah. And and that's the kind of thing that Raftis can get back now with some of those assets. Like Morgan Frost alone can draw you a player in nine draft picks, I would think, or at least a bunch of seconds because their draft cupboard is pretty depleted right now, and they have a lot of assets. Like I said, their three overagers are some of the best overagers in the league in Mac Hollowell, Jordan Sambrook, and Keegan Howdeshell. Well, and if you're looking at the uh, Niagara-Kingston deal as a bit of a barometer... You know, Robertson and Paquette for two players in 11 picks. Yeah. Then maybe you've got uh, Frost and Sambrook for something right. similar. It's, 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 sure. an, it's an interesting gift. All right. I'm going to kind of be a little bit like your mother. She's all about that tradition of giving you and your brother the exact same shirt to wear. You already awesome. did that. Love it. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, right. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to keep in, uh, in character here, and it's no... Uh, it's no surprise I'm a bit of a nerd. I, I do crossword puzzles and Sudoku puzzles while I'm on the road. And so I'm going to give out a book, well, a book end, let's put it that way, to Dan Liebold, the equipment manager for the Kitchener Rangers, who is currently the equipment manager with Team Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championships out in Vancouver and Victoria. 
British Columbia. You see, the bookend that I would like to see Dan Liebold get is another gold medal. He's got a gold and a silver for his service so far with the World Junior. So let's bookend that with another gold. I don't want him to complete the set. I don't want Dan Liebel to have a bronze to go with his gold and his silver since he got the gold first and then the silver. Let's bookend it with another gold medal for Dan Liebold at the World Junior Hockey Championships in Team Canada. I like it. That's what I'd give to him. Danny's a good guy. And more importantly, it's my favorite time of year because the World Juniors are about to start. And of course... Our country's going to win gold. How about Ty Delandria being cut by the junior team? Shocker or no? I don't know that I go so far as to be shocked by anything we see anymore. And let's be honest, Ty Delandria is a world-class player in this Ontario Hockey League. But I have to confess again, and I have to play the card, I don't know how good all of the players are from the West and the Q and wherever else they're drawing them from to round out this roster. I'll say this, if a player the likes of Ty Delandria is being cut, damn, is it a good forward crop right? in Canada. First yeah. round, like he was the third, like first group of guys cut. It blows my mind. I'm going to say I'm shocked. Um, one more for you, and I'm going to, and we didn't talk about this beforehand. And I want to ask you, pull up the stats, rattle your brain. But I, I, I did some research on who I would give my first half MVP award to. Oh, your first half MVP. Yeah. Now, I know, okay. you, I, know I didn't put this on you, so I'll go first and allow you to get some time to do some thinking. But my first half MVP goes, and a bit of a theme here, if you've been listening this whole time, and my first half MVP is going to go to Uka Pekka Lukanen. The goaltender of the Sudbury Wolves. And I have no problem doing that. If you look at where the Sudbury Wolves have come from and look at where they are now, they had the first overall pick in the OHL draft. And they, they, they obviously lucked out because Quentin Byfield got four points last night and he's been an absolute stud. But without Uka Pekka Lukanen in net, I don't know if the Sudbury Wolves are leading their division. Pardon? I said they're leading their division. If not for whatever the heck is going on in Ottawa, the Sudbury Wolves are probably atop the Eastern Conference from last to first, all within a year. Ukapaka Lukanen, a goals against average of 251, a save percentage of 922. I think that is your MVP in the first half of the season. I think that shows your uh, typical stance, looking to the goalies, because yep. you are one. Yep. All are a bunch of flakes. But yep. that's, listen, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great pick for first half MVP. I would think, uh, you know, I really wanted to, or I, I would be tempted to go completely off paper and just throw a little more love to Marco Rossi as a rookie mm. in this league. Because coming in the way he has and, and putting up the numbers he's been putting up, it, you have to remember how difficult that is as a 16-year-old in this league. But I, I won't go quite that far off paper. And then, of course, I'm, I'm tempted, just but stick in the nation's capital, because I think that is equally compelling a story as the one you're just talking about in Sudbury, where I sit here in the hotel today. But I think Ty Celeber, yeah. there's another great story coming out of the nation's capital and the entire 67th team. But I won't, I won't go there either. Oh, I, that's I where I would have went. 
Wow. Because I think there's another name, and it's okay. going to stay in the Eastern Conference that has to be in consideration. And I would give the first half MVP award to none other than Jason Robertson, who does nothing except score goals and put up points. And when he got traded from Kingston to Niagara, uh, he may he, he not only uh, didn't go back a step, I think he accelerated when he joined his new team. So uh, Jason Robertson, for me, without question, is the first half MVP of this Ontario Hockey League. And isn't it interesting, Popper, that all of the players we talked about, you mentioned Uka Pekka Lukanen, uh, I went to Ottawa and talked about Rossi and Feliburn. Now we're on Jason Robertson. Every one of our considerations for first half MVP are in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. I is, think. Is, is it East Beast? Are the East Beastly this year? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I are. don't think there's any argument, to be honest. I think the, the, this champion, this league championship goes through the Eastern Conference this year. You're going to have to. Like that, you're gonna have to beat a powerhouse out of the East, I think, and I don't think some of those teams are done trading. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Niagara still kicking tires out there. I don't, yeah. I don't know that Ottawa is done just yet. But listen, if the Guelph Storm don't add because <sighs> they feel this is their year to shoot their shot, I mean, so the teams in the West have got to be looking at Ottawa, Niagara, and saying, how can we do something against them? I have it on pretty good authority that the Guelph Storm were in talks with Windsor before Michael DiPietro was moved to Ottawa. Oh, really? Really. Sources say, huh? Sources say. Um, oh. Want to hear a meaningless number? I love meaningless numbers. Okay. Jason Robertson, 60 points in 32 games right now. <laughs> He's on, yeah, not bad. He's on pace for 127 points. In last year, or go past last year, Aaron Luchuk won the scoring title with 115. But 16-17, Dabrinkit won it with 127 points. In 15-16, Kevin LeBanc won won it with 127 points. That's all. Well, that's not a meaningless number at all. That's awesome. Yeah. Two of the last three (laughs) scoring titles have been 127 points, and Jason Robertson is on pace for 127 points. I'll be ding-danged. Yeah, that's all I got. I think it's a meaningless number. but How, How can we be this deep into the pod without talking about suspensions and the fact that suddenly, out of the blue, we've had a slew of reminders that, oh yeah, if you put the puck out of play and there are fans in the stands and you do so deliberately out of some level of frustration, you are going to be banned for five games. Luke Cavlin, goaltender for the Flint Firebirds, Riley Damiani, forward for the Kitchener Rangers, and Owen Tippett, big difference, of course, is that Tippett's ban was for flipping a foam puck back into the stands. Yeah, I think we uh, got this far into the podcast without talking about it because <laughs> we almost don't want to talk about it. It's asinine. Isn't it? But it is. I really, like, I'm kind of torn on the whole subject because, yeah, I think the rule is stupid that you get five games, but I understand why it's there. Because you don't want people just flipping the puck into the stand. Someone could get hurt. But the rule is there. There's no, there's no gray area. Everyone knows the rules. Flip the puck into the stands, you get five games. Three guys flip the puck into the stands, you get five games. No? I'm really okay with it. 
Popper. I am really okay with it in the Cavillan and the Damiani case. Okay, we're on the same and page. We are. Yeah. But with Tippett, I, yeah. there's got to be... I, I call the delay of game penalty for putting the puck over the glass when you're trying to clear it the cruelest penalty in all of sports. I get why it was implemented, and there were people taking advantage, Chris Jellios, and so <laughs> that's why the rule was put in place to prevent that opportunity to kind of cheat the game a little bit, clearing the puck out of play. But it becomes black and white. And sometimes it just happens and you get the two-minute sentence for it. I get it, but I call it the cruelest penalty in all of sports because of that. It's just so black and white. And whether you intended to or not, if the puck rolls, whatever the case may be, boom, you're banned. I don't think Riley Damiani had any intent at all to put the puck out of play. But I get the spirit of the rule. In the Owen Tippett case, though, that foam puck, if he had leaned into it with everything he has got in his goal scorer's shot and put it directly into the face of a fan, it could not have hurt them. Oh, I think it would have hurt. (laughs) Owen Tippett has a heck of a shot. (laughs) It's a foam puck. I know. We've got to talk about some physics here and velocity (laughs) and drag and the fact that it's foam. So it's only going to get so much speed. Anyway, I still think it would have hurt. Okay, I don't think it would have hurt at all. I don't think it would have even left a mark beyond five seconds. I really don't think it matters though whether it would have hurt because at the end of the day, he wasn't doing anything. He was trying to give a foam puck to a kid. It was a chuck a puck thing. Like you want to grow the game, you want people to be interested in this league, you want people to come to it, but you don't allow players to interact with a kid by flipping them a foam puck that was on the ice like it's bad enough that you don't allow the media to do our job in sending out proper press releases it's bad enough that you don't tell fans when people are suspended now you're suspending a top player in the Ontario Hockey League in Mississauga where you're trying to grow the game more than ever because 10 (laughs) people show up to a game and how do you grow a game? You get kids involved. You want kids to come to the game. This is Mississauga that needs a school day game to get over a thousand people in there. And you're going to suspend a kid for flipping someone a puck. So my question is, what about all those players that in the warm-up try to throw a fan a puck? Is, are they, is that five games? Come on. Like, I get it. It's black and white, yes. But it was a foam puck. And it was to a kid. And the play wasn't on. Take a breath and look at the whole situation here. They, they limited it to one, but still, I think the whole thing is just ridiculous. This has shown us that there has to be a little bit of discretion added into this rule. It can't be so black and white so that if it's a foam flipping puck, we have to be able to say, listen, you got no better than to, throw, uh, to shoot things out of play, but it was a foam puck. You knew that. Let's move on. You can have your one-game sentence, and life goes on. It's 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 a little bit goofy. The fact that he even gets a one-game, it's like oh, I know. Uh, like I, I can know. just imagine the brass in Mississauga getting that phone call from the league. Like, what kind of language was used? Oh. One of the things we have to be careful about, obviously, is talking about this happening to a star player. And if it was a fourth liner, are we having the same conversation? But either way. The fact that it was a foam puck shows that this league, it just needs to take a look at this rule and maybe make it less black and white.
while we're on this, I, we, we should hear from uh, Kitchener Rangers forward Riley Damiani, who's suspended for the same thing. And as I said, uh, yeah, I think the rule black and white is a little bit harsh, but it makes sense to me in the Luke Cavill and, and Damiani cases. And I got a chance to, to ask Damiani about it. Uh, and he's, he's got an interesting an interesting story to share uh, about what he did, what kind of happened, and his ability to replicate it. I was just I was frustrated. Um, obviously, you don't want to you don't want to get scored on empty netter. Um, you're trying to tie a game late in the game, and and something like that happens, it, it really deflates you. So um, yeah, it was just I was kind of upset. I went to go just like throw the puck back into my net and it rolled up on me in the crease and just took off and launched over the mesh behind the net and luckily didn't hit anyone um but yeah it got into the stand so uh the rule states is five game suspension automatically so um i broke the rule i gotta i gotta do the time so i think if we took another 100 pucks and rolled them out of the net like that. Maybe two, if you flip them, are going to do what that puck did. But luck of the draw for you. Yeah. Um, the next day in practice, uh, I got some of the guys to try it, and, and no one was even close. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those things that you don't really see happening, and, and you don't see it coming. But when it does, you're obviously pretty upset. And, and I'm upset at myself for, for how it played out. And I obviously don't want to be a guy that, that lets down my team in, in a way like that. So uh, I, I've apologized to them many times, and, and guys joke about it, but it's it's obviously tough to be sitting out another five after missing five <clears throat> for injury. I like how he got other teammates to try it. It reminds me one practice, uh, and I hope he doesn't mind me telling the story, but Mike Van Ryan was the head coach, and uh, it was the pre- last practice before the Christmas break, right around this time of year. And uh, it was, I think, on a Wednesday. So they would have practiced Wednesday, went to school Thursday, had the game Friday. And so at the end of practice, he said, okay, we're going to play this game. And they were all in the one end. And they were at essentially the face-off dots in the uh, Rangers defensive end. And he said, you guys pick a player. And they can go toe-to-toe with me. Wrist shots from the hash marks into the mesh at the far end. If you can do it, um, and and I don't, then high school kids, you don't have to go to school tomorrow. You can have the day. You can have the day off. So ob- obviously, all the boys are fired up. And so the the kids got to pick a, a player to uh, to try it for them. And Rhino, Mike Van Ryan, he steps up, casual little wrister, goes about ten feet above the the glass into the mesh, like it was just nothing and i can't remember who the player was and i apologize but he at the hash marks winds up for this huge wrist shot <laughs> and it, i think it dropped about the top of the circles in the offensive zone <laughs> <laughs> but for that moment Hope, for that moment there was hope of it there was i was just howling i i, I love that kind of stuff obviously it's not easy to do what riley did and it wasn't intentionally he tried to go into the top of the net and unfortunate no matter who the player is to miss that kind of time. Apparently it was easy for uh, Van Ryan to do what he did though. Chief. Yeah, I wonder if he could still do it. We should we should ask Jay if he can do that. It was it was something to see. He he did it pretty effortlessly. Like it was just a 
casual wrister into the mesh, and then well, the player wind it, the player wound up like got his hands right close to the ice, trying to get right under it. Ah, no dice. It'd be interesting to see what uh, what Jay would be capable of because you remember last year in Sudbury, we had a practice at that arena outside <laughs> on the outskirts of the city. Do I? And we were up in this old little press box gondola type thing. Um, it's not high; it's a small, tiny arena. But we're up there in this old wooden rickety thing. It almost killed and Jay's us. Jay's down on the ice, and yeah, and he deliberately flipped a puck into, and it's not like it's a huge opening or a huge press box at all. And he wasn't far, you know, within a few feet of my head. And he <laughs> joked later. He said, I just missed the target by a bit. But that's not bad from out there on the ice to get the right trajectory to get it into that opening, into that press box. Into and the box. the target. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I was like, how do you do, like, heck of a, heck of a shot. Pretty casually. And yeah. yeah and I, I, he joked about missing the target. I think he hit the target bang on. Like that, like. Yeah, flipping he didn't it up. Want to hit me? Well, right. I I think he was joking, but I mean, yeah. I depending on who you ask, I guess. <laughs> should we? Hey, listen. Should we even be talking about this, considering the suspensions we just? Went I through? no, that's that's a suspension it, right there. It'll come back and haunt him. He'll yeah. get he'll get a um, an after the fact suspension from the league. I think uh, it's I think it's of a reminder of just uh, how how good you have to be to make the National Hockey League. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> those guys were. With all due respect to Mike Van Ryan and, and Jamie Key, those guys were serviceable defensemen who yep. who provided a like any team would have wanted them. Um, but like them to like the likes of Sid or McDavid, right? Gross, crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I remember when Real I saw quick, Daniel Daniel Kachuk do a skating drill at the Rangers uh, training camp, and the look on the kids' faces when Kachuk was showing them how to do this drill, and he was going inside outside edge without pushing. And just bending his knee, pumping, going around a circle on one leg. And the players are all looking at each other like, what the heck is that? He wants us to do that? Not, <laughs> not one kid could make it around. It was unbelievable. unbelievable. I want to just throw in real quick to on Mike Van Ryan, end of a game day skate on the road in Saginaw. And they're all starting to get off the ice. And um, Van Ryan, the other coaches, and some of the players line up uh, – slot around probably just above the hash marks and um the the game is to hit the post the post and the crossbar in consecutive shots before you can leave the ice first person to do it wins Mm -hmm. so van ryan was the first shooter post post crossbar (laughs) and he just puts his arms in the air skates off everybody just looking like what just happened here it's funny it's funny (laughs) Okay, we should, um, because we said we would, and we've been talking a little bit about the World Juniors in this podcast, and we're going to be hearing a lot of Gord Miller, of course, over Christmas, because he has always been calling the games for the World Juniors, and he is absolutely one of my favorites. We touched on this last week, and it's good to be able to hear Gord at this time of year. And I would put Chris Cuthbert up there as probably my number one guy when it comes to play-by-play. Uh, but I felt a little bad last week when we talked about because you said Bob Cole still does it for you. And, of course, I, I grew up a little bit of uh, Dan Kelly before Bob Cole. But, yeah, Cole's that classic. And, and I felt bad for sort of being so dismissive of him. He's definitely lost a bit of a step over the years, but he's still great. i got to put him in top three. I'd go Cuthbert Miller and, and uh, Bob Cole as my top three right now. I'm, I'm sticking with my top three. Um, Bob Cole... Easily number one. I said to you this week, I said he could, with all due respect, 
He said he could, I, or I said he could call a Kingston Flint game and make it <laughs> seem like it's game seven. It's just the the dramatics in his voice. He knows when to hit the crescendo and when, when to pull back, when to just say nothing. And you think back to some of those famous goal calls. Like only Bob Cole could make Joe Sackick's name sound the way he did during that Olympics. Canada trying to hang on and get a break. It's going to be a break. It is Joe Sackick. Scores. Joe Sackick scores. And that makes it 5-2 Canada. Surely that's got to be it. He made Joe into like three syllables. It's it's Bob Cole. I, I got and I'm a big Gord Miller guy because I've always loved the World Junior Tournament. Yeah. Um, so he's number two for me. It's just something about him, the comfortability, the the familiarity, um, and then Chris Cuthbert is the best in the National League. I don't think it is even close, to be honest with you. Got to throw in an honorable mention to Jim Houston. I think he just calls a game nice. You know, he doesn't get it's not too crazy at any point. But I I kind of do. Um, like those guys to get really amped up. And, yeah. and along with Jim Houston and um, the honorable mention, I throw Doc Emmerich in there too. Still love hearing him call a game when I get to hear one uh, out of the States. But but those guys that really do get into it, uh, Mike Lang in Pittsburgh is one that comes to mind who does their radio calls. And, you know, he's, he's the one that uh, scratched my back yeah. with the rusty razor and stuff like that, right? Those the, those are a lot of fun too. You got to love them. I, I do. I'm a big fan of Lang in Pittsburgh. Um, obviously, like you said, um, um, who, Jim, um, Houston. Jim Houston. Thank you. I was going to say yeah. Jim Lang. I was thinking of Jim Lang. Because <laughs> we mentioned Mike Lang, and I, I, could, I was yeah. like, it's not Jim Lang. He just wrote the book with right, with Bob McKenzie. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, love love Jim Houston. I'm just not. I, be, I think because he took Cuthbert's spot, I have a little sour spot in me. You know, oh, I can yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It's uh, it's fun to listen to those guys, and I think a lot of it depends on the team you like and the environment that you're listening in. Like, Gord Miller is excellent at his job, but maybe we like him even that much more because we love the tournament he's calling. I think that's so part of it, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of, if you've liked what we've done, make sure to go back and listen to past episodes wherever you get your podcast. Um, in the meantime, we're going to take a bit of a break from podcasting and enjoy some turkey and ham and gift giving with our families and uh i'm gonna get to it a little sooner than uh you farzi because you're still up north and i'm back here in the warm confines of the boardwalk in waterloo region i can't wait they better clean up those teddy bears fast and then i was actually talking to our bus driver earlier today he said four and a half hours i already mapped it out so from the time we leave this sudbury this classic sudbury arena after the game tonight, four and a half hours, and I'm home for Christmas. There you go. That's all you need to know. We talked about goaltenders, also World Junior Tournament getting underway. Uh, we're recording this Friday afternoon. Last night, Canada played uh, the U Sports, lost. Both OHL goaltenders played for Team Canada. Uh, Volalta stopped 13 of 15, allowing two goals. Michael DiPietro stopped 14 of 17, allowing Three goals. Ian Scott, the other guy uh, in the other net for U Sports, allowed twenty or allowed three goals on thirty shots. Just saying, there's your three goaltenders vying for a top spot on Canada's national team. There you go. 
That's it for us. Make sure to uh, go back and listen. Again, follow us on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL and at underscore Chris Pope. And don't forget any questions, comments, you want to tell us your favorite play-by-play guys, use the hashtag at uh, hashtag AskFNP. Capital F, small N, capital P, Farwell and Pope. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. This has been the Farwell and Pope podcast, posted weekly. If you have questions, topics, or a story you would like to be covered, simply email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.